Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I am John Ledyard, along with my boss, Scott Reynolds, here on the Pewter Report podcast. Scott, we got a special guest today that you and I have been pretty amped up to talk to all week. Going to shed a lot of light on this Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, rumor mill, controversy, who's at fault. We got a guy that's going to take the heat off of us and answer the questions for us today. In Mark Schofield works for USA Today's Touchdown Wire and is a Patriots and Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, NFL offense in general expert who's going to shed a lot of light on this situation today. So, Mark, welcome to the show, man. We are honored to have you. I'm honored to be here. And I got to say, I'm honored that you guys are taking some time away from the thriller that is Raven Steelers that is going on right now, which is just an epic clash that is going to be like NFL films, 30 for 30. Like this will be talked about for, for ages. So the fact that you guys are taking some time to talk to me, I'm blown away. I'm touched, gentlemen. I'm I mean, touched. we literally scheduled you on Wednesday, so we didn't yeah. have to worry about football. Right. And look what the NFL did anyway. Wednesday afternoon football. Exactly. Exactly. It's what a year. But hopefully people still jumping into the show, and I can see that you are. So appreciate all of you that are in the show. We are pumped to, to talk to Mark today. We've got lots to ask him and lots to get his insight on. And all of this content, as always, is brought to you by our great friends over at Celsius. And John, you know, our good friends in Celsius, not only do they have some tremendous fruit flavors for their drinks, look at you. Are you crushing an orange today, my friend? Oh, yes. You know, That's I told favorite. you I was going to. I know. And what do you think? It's really good. It's really good. I'm not going to lie. Not yeah. even an orange soda guy, but it's just better. It tastes cleaner. Like it, it doesn't does. leave you with that like bloated feeling that I get from soda yep. sometimes. I love that. And you mentioned soda, John. Guess what I'm drinking? I'm drinking the cola version of Celsius. You said you were going to try it. Yeah, and this is my second one. And I'll tell you, the thing I like about this is I like the taste, right? Whether it's Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, whatever. But this right. has got no sugar and no preservatives in it. And it's an energy drink. So it doesn't have the, the bad stuff that, that you might find in soda. This has got the healthy energy. And that's what Celsius is all about. Powering active lives every day with essential functional energy. So right. make sure that you... Pick up uh, a can of Celsius at your convenience store. You can, we can make it easy for you. If you want to go to pewterreport.com, click on the Celsius banners. They're going to take you to Amazon where you can buy big cases and save in uh, bundles. And if you want to try a variety of flavors, guess what? They've got a great variety pack there for you to choose from. You can get the heat. You can get the BCAA plus energy or just the regular energy. They have these in sparkling and also some that are made with green tea that don't have the sparkling. So uh, lots to choose from. Be sure to visit Celsius.com as well to read more about Celsius and how they can power and energize your life too. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, we've got some some questions for you today. We are in need of some knowledge uh, on, on this show. You know, Scott has talked about it. I've talked about it. I've written about it. You know, Scott's written about it. The relationship between Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, if you were going to pick like one theme of the 2020 NFL season or one talking point from the 2020 NFL season, really feels like it's been this one. I mean, we celebrated it at the beginning of the year and even some toward the middle of the year. Then we've gone through a four-week stretch now over the last couple weeks and couple games where losers are three or four, and you know what losing does. doesn't matter how it happens or who else might be to blame, but the quarterback and the coach, especially when it's high-profile figures like Bruce Aarons and Tom Brady, will be under fire and under a lot of scrutiny uh, in that relationship as it relates to their performance on the field. And so far, that performance – it's been good in a lot of respects, but it's also kind of seems like it's been a little bit underwhelming um, compared to the expectations with all the talent uh, that are there for each other. So I'll start us off with a really general question. You've watched Tom Brady. Let's start with Tom Brady and that you've watched Tom Brady for years. For those who don't know, Mark is a Patriots fan, but he's also been an analyst for years. He's watched and studied Tom Brady probably closer than literally anyone other than maybe Brady's coaches over the years. And he knows this position as well as a former quarterback. So what have you seen from Tom Brady this season that, you know, that could be great. It could be concerning, but just what have you seen from Tom Brady this season as it compares to the Tom Brady you watched for 20 years in new England? I think we'll, 
answer it this way in terms of some good news and some bad news. And I'll start with the good news first. A lot of people questioned. Yeah, I'm going to ease everybody into it, you know, as we get into the show here. A lot of people question Tom Brady from a scheme fit perspective. Would he be able to fit into a Bruce Arians offensive system? At this point in Tom Brady's career, one of the big question marks was the arm talent, the velocity, the ability to push the ball downfield. Tom Brady, Brady certainly has a reputation coming out of New England as the sort of game manager, system quarterback, going to really work underneath, shorter throws, near the line of scrimmage. How would he fit in a Bruce Arians system? And at least through the majority of this year, he's been a pretty good deep passer. You know, you've had success pushing the ball downfield. And I think, you know, absent some throws, obviously the pick six in week one, you know, mm-hmm. a, a pick six against the Chargers on those sort of out routes outside of the numbers. You know, he's had success pushing the ball downfield in the vertical passing game. So I think he's sort of answered those questions. Now, the bad news becomes this. You've seen some of the head-scratching moments from Tom Brady that have sort of sprinkled into his game over the past, say, three to four years, and he's had some of those moments here this year in Tampa Bay. I mean, you know, we talked about the Steelers. John, you probably remember a couple years ago. It was the year they won the Super Bowl. They had that late-season game in Pittsburgh. And he had that sort of head scratch and throw where it didn't know if he was trying to throw it away or what. Yeah. And it was intercepted deep on the right side of the field. Joe Hayden play. The Joe, Joe Hayden, Hayden play, yeah. right? Where you don't know if Brady's trying to throw it away or not. That's kind of a very un-Brady-like decision. Or that same year, you know, the interception in Miami and the sort of Gronkowski you know, hailed Mary game where he took a sack. Excuse me, it wasn't an interception. It was a sack before halftime when they were out of timeouts. And it's like... This isn't Tom Brady. This is a lack of situational awareness. And then you have the Chicago game this year. It seems like he doesn't know what down it is at the end of the game or an interception that he threw against the Saints in that second game where he sort of flushed to the right and then lofts something back to the left that has more air under it than the yeah. St. Louis Arch. That third wonder, and long throw yeah. or the fourth and long. And maybe, yeah. Fourth down, yeah. Th- fourth this down is, here. This yeah. is not Tom Brady. This is a Sam Darnold moment. This is a Mitch Trubisky <laughs> moment. This Hold is- on, Mark, Mark. Are you saying that Tom Brady is actually a human being? I break it some news wow. here, Scott. Tom okay. Brady's a human being, but wow. for those of us that have watched him and studied him for years, yeah. these are uncharacteristic right. moments. And so you wonder, is it a comfort thing? Is he pressing? Is it like if, if people have watched, I often reference the replacements that Keanu Reeves movie. Is it a quicksand moment where he's trying to do too much? It's that sort of head scratch and lack of situational awareness that you're not used to seeing from Tom Brady, yeah. but has crept into his game over the past couple of years. You see more of those moments, particularly in recent weeks, where you start to wonder, is he frustrated? Is there something going on behind the scenes? Whatever. But those are the both the good and the bad, I think, of Tom Brady right now. Right. It's it's fascinating to watch him because you're right. Like to me, Mark, I've described it on the show. People are kind of probably hearing what you're saying and trying to reconcile with things we've said. And I've described in the show is sometimes he just looks like kind of pissed off. Like he just like does things out of frustration a little bit, which is again like not what a Brady we've experienced over his career. Tell you, really. John, as somebody that is probably like you said, I've probably watched more Tom Brady throws than most people that walk this <laughs> earth. And maybe that says more about me than anything else. <laughs> But there are moments when Brady can is clearly unhappy, and you can tell, like yeah. whether it's whether it's just a throwaway because people aren't on the same page, whether it's a throw that he misses and he's mad at himself. Like Brady is a very expressive football player, and there have been many moments this year, but there have been moments throughout his career where, you know, and might be in games when they're winning by thirty eight. And he's unhappy with a throw or a read that he makes on a third and four in the fourth quarter of a blowout win. And you can just tell he's not happy with it. I remember last year they beat the Cowboys in a rainy, ugly game. And it was like they got blown out by 50. He was livid after that because the offense just wasn't executing to the level that he wanted it to execute. Right. And so and, and, and Mark, is, that this is, year that, too. is that due to him just being the perfectionist that he, that he is? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, th- this is somebody that, you know, when I was asked – you know, this past sprint about what Brady is going to be like in Tampa Bay. I said, look, you're probably at times going to see the best you've ever seen Tom Brady play because this is a guy that is maniacally driven. You know, Patrick Claibon from the NFL Network talks about, you know, the shoulder chip games where Mm -hmm. somebody's driven by, you know, being slighted or whatever. Brady's lived his entire life that way. We're talking about a guy that this past sprint named his film production company 199 Productions. Why? That's what he was picked. I mean, right. this is the guy that's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. He's on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks. And at this yeah. point in his career, he's still driven by that. He's yeah. just a perfectionist to the nth degree. And if he misses a throw, like I said, third and seven, late in a blowout win, he's going right. to be livid over it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you think, or Mark, in watching this offense this year, you know, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, everything's talked about with their kind of relationship and those two coming together and, and the mesh of styles in some people's minds. You and I have talked about this a little bit. Brady's always been aggressive. He's always throwing the football down the field a ton. People can look at the quarterbacks that have led you know, the league in, in 20 plus yard pass attempts throughout their careers. And Tom Brady's usually near the top of that list. I mean, he, I think that's undersold point about him. But in my examination of quarterbacks looking mainly at Bruce Arians type of quarterbacks, I actually think I can pull this up for people to be able to see because I was look, I went back this week and I said, okay, what, what is a Bruce Arians quarterback? What did they look like? Like, you know, what, what has been, um, you know, the kind of the, the, the staples of that position, you know, for Bruce Arians and what have they lo- looked like over the years? How have they been successful? Have they been? And obviously stats don't tell us the full story, as you know, and watching tape with quarterbacks, but here's like a look just for people at t- uh, Tom Brady versus the other quarterbacks in that Bruce Arians has coached and in their first years in Bruce Arians offense, you know, so doesn't tell us the whole story because again, it's, it's just first years in his offense. But even if you look at, at the best quarterbacks that, that he's had, you can see even the, the first-year quarterbacks in Bruce Arians' offense, Tom Brady statistically is, is lapping the field for the most part. And Ben Roethlisberger yeah. in 2007 was not anywhere close to what this offense is today. And the Steelers ran, threw in the ball like 600 times that year, and he threw less than Brady and most of these other guys have already thrown at this point in the season. So you know, when you look at Brady's numbers, I mean – He's protecting the football. He's taking way less sacks than these other guys. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, you know, and his John, EPA. We, we, we should know too that these are projections for right four more games of projections games. at his yeah. current rate. Right at right. his current rate, which you know, again, he's facing pretty bad defenses over the second F, or the final stretch of the season. So, yeah. you know, you take that as what you will, and then you look at him against the best quarterbacks really that have ever played in an Aryan system. Right, and it's like, man. Okay, like maybe he's not touching Carson Palmer's 2015, which we don't talk about enough as being an out of control great season for a quarterback. But, you know, this is pretty much peak playing in Arians' offense for a quarterback. So I say all this to say if people are saying to Mark that Tom Brady isn't a fit for Bruce Arians' offense, but yet Tom Brady is one of the best quarterbacks statistically and really on tape and we've record like that Bruce Arians has had. Are we really, is it really a Tom Brady and Bruce Arians issue or is Bruce Arians kind of the common denominator here in that? Maybe some things about Bruce Arians need to change, especially if you look at his last three seasons, non-winning, non-playoff seasons, as the NFL's changed some. Is that a fair way to look at it and say, like, maybe Bruce Arians is the common denominator here and that Bruce Arians and any quarterback kind of need to take some some new steps in a new direction? You know, I think there is something to that, John, in the sense that you look through a Bruce Arians historically, the offenses that he's coached, his playbooks, his schemes, his philosophy about the position and offense in general, and there are probably some things that Arians can do to sort of, you know, change his approach, make things easier on quarterbacks, make things easier on his offensive players, and perhaps, you know, make it a little bit more efficient from an offensive perspective. And in terms of things from hot reads to protection schemes to play calls and progressions, there are certainly some things I think that he can do, and perhaps some things that Tom Brady has injected into his thinking, into his playbook even, that probably might rub off on him for this season, you know, their final stretch of games here after the bye and going forward. And I do think in a sense – you know, this, this discussion about Tom Brady and Bruce Arians right now is a great example of the recency bias that we often all yeah. suffer from, you know, <laughs> when we cover this game, right? Because, you know, you look at some of what they did earlier in this year, you look at some of the wins that they've had, the successful games that they've had, and you think this is a really good offense. You put up those numbers, yeah. John, you know, projections, that you, even if they are, you know, even the fact that they are projections, this is still an offense that has put up some good numbers. This is an offense oh, yeah. that has executed well, a quarterback that has executed well in his first year in a very new system after spending the previous 20 in one offense. You know, but the fact that they had the second loss to the Saints, the fact that they're coming off another loss, there are people thinking, oh, you know, do they have to revamp things over the bye week? Do they have to, you know, go back to a different playbook? Do they have to do crazier things than that? This is still a team that is it has a winning record, is in good position for the playoffs. And if you look around the rest of the NFC landscape, like is there a team in the NFC that is a complete football team right now? I don't think so. And so, you know, I think everybody sort of needs to like take a step back and realize this is still a pretty good team. This is still a very good quarterback. This can still be a very good offense. Are there things to work on? Yeah, but show me an offense right now outside of Kansas City that doesn't have things to work on on the offensive side of the ball. Right. Mark, how much of this of this year? And and again, you mentioned recency bias, right? The Bucs are one and three over the last four games and fans are freaking out. And you look at some of those losses. Well, all three losses really are against playoff teams, right? The Rams, the Chiefs 
and the Saints, we we feel strongly are going to make the playoffs. Certainly, the, the Chiefs and and the the Saints as division winners. But when you when you look at this season, right? Tom Brady signs with the Buccaneers in March, and you know, right in the middle of of, or I should say, at the beginning of the of the COVID crisis that gripped this country. No OTAs, no mini camp, a truncated training camp, right? Two weeks of training camp rather than four, and then no preseason games. The first time Tom Brady puts on a Buccaneer uniform, he's got Cameron Jordan breathing down his neck, right? And and he's in the, the Superdome, and it's live bullets are flying. Uh, so the first time Tom Brady had a chance to sit in a room and collaborate, not on Zoom, but in a room, right, where you're face-to-face with Tom Moore and Bruce Arians and Clyde Christensen, the quarterback's coach, and Byron Leftwich, and, and really, you know, whiteboarded up. It's August. And you got football, mm-hmm. real football, a month into this thing. How much of of this season? And again, I, I agree with you. Right now, the Buccaneers are averaging twenty eight point seven points per game. And Mark, that's that seems good. Yeah, that's good. Matter of fact, it's not just good, John. It's the best in Buccaneer history. It beats last <laughs> year, which was twenty eight point one. Right. So Tom Brady is is operating the most potent offense in Buccaneer history from a points perspective, and he did so. In, in a, I can't even say truncated because there really wasn't an offseason. So how much of this is is this Tom Brady and the Buccaneers continuing to play catch up and get him implemented into an offense that, that wasn't um, everybody coming together and learning this? Chris Godwin knows it from last year. So does Mike Evans. So does Ryan Jensen, the center. So does Donovan Smith. So does Scotty Miller, right? So th- th- you, you've, got, you've got players that are on two levels, right? The people that were here last year that played in Bruce Arians' offense and putting up 28 points per game, but we're 7-9. and nine. And now you've got Tom Brady and a couple guys, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, uh, the right tackle, Tristan Wirfs that are new. But but how much of, of that is is a factor with what we're seeing with some of these uneven performances? Scott, I think it's a massive factor, especially when you look at the some of the mistakes that have been made when you have receiver and quarterback not on the same page, receiver and protection scheme not on the same page, receiver and hot read not on the same page. These are things that you iron out during mini camps, OTAs, training camp. Like that's the stuff that you get ironed out before the games start for real, but they're having yeah. to do it on the floor and do it in this strange set of circumstances that we're all living through right now during this COVID-19 era. And, you know, a lot of offenses that had to face these kinds of adjustments, whether it's Tampa Bay, whether it's the New York Giants and Jason Garrett, whether it's the Patriots and Cam Newton, you're trying to do this staple and it together. You know, it's like trying to land a plane when you're trying to like glue the wings back on at 35,000 feet. Like you can't do it. You know, it's oh, oh, and by by the way, Mark, you got a game on Sunday. You got to prepare for it. So you're trying to correct your mistakes while you're preparing for an an opponent. It's got like you think about the new CBA and the restricted practice time and the limited time you have anyway. It's like people sometimes ask me, like you know, a quarterback right now, Carson Wentz, Mitchell Trubisky, they're struggling mechanics. Can you fix them? Yeah, sure. But do you want to take time away from installing your game plan to play, you know, the Seattle Seahawks on Monday night? Do you want to take time away from figuring out how to identify when Jamal Adams is going to blitz or not and waste that time on Carson Wentz's elbow? Like you can't do it and you can't do it in a regular season. Forget having to do it when you're trying to play catch up. So there are offenses that are sort of struggling to get everybody on the same page as a result of having to deal with this strange set of circumstances we're living in. So when you have an offense that's averaging 28.7 points a game, I think you could say, okay, yeah, there are things to work on, sure. But right. we got to kind of be happy with where we are, given yeah. gestures wildly to the rest of the world right now. You know? Right. right. Oh, and by the way, Mark, the Bucks were five and seven last year, not seven and five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. Was so, so, to, he was brought here to win. Right. And that's, right. That's what the Buccaneers are doing. Maybe not to the unrealistic Super Bowl expectations that Buccaneer fans have, but I think to more a more reasoned. Uh, approach that hey this team has not been to the playoffs in a dozen years and right. 10 and 6 that that's a great step in the right direction right yeah, yeah i mean this is i mean the whole thing's interesting even when you talk about the expectation level because on one hand it's like well the bucks have the talent to win a super bowl like they have the talent to be considered the best roster in the league i think but it is about more than that and so i don't think saying you know i don't think the super bowl is necessarily unrealistic maybe going right. into the season but at the same time i think like people have to understand like there's a cohesiveness that that is 
so important in football. It's the most important thing in football. Um, you know, you can look at some of the teams that dominate and play well with without the level of talent that the Bucs have. I mean, it's not about, you know, that level of talent. It's about cohesiveness and getting people to fit into what you're trying to do from a scheme right. perspective, and they necessarily and, haven't right. had that. And, and John, it, it shouldn't be Super Bowl or bust this year. It should be right. Super Bowl or bust next year. Mark, would sure. you agree with that? I would agree with that. I mean, especially given the set of circumstances that we just discussed, yeah. Scott. I mean, if you had had a regular, you know, preseason training camp and all that stuff and everybody's on the same page, you could say realistically, okay, given the talent on this Buccaneers roster, given Tom Brady, yeah, Super Bowl or bust in this year. I think you have to sort of recalibrate things given the times we're living in. Now, look, Super Bowl opportunities don't come along. And I know I'm not going to get any sort of you know sympathy here as a Patriots fan. <laughs> I understand that. But I can tell you that they don't come along every so often. And so when you have that chance to sit here at 7-5 and five with a bye week, a chance to go into a rather easier stretch of games like they have upcoming, you, know, you do sort of think, especially as I said, look around the NFC, there is a potential Super Bowl, at least representative here in Tampa Bay. So you want to take advantage mm-hmm. of that. But I think you have a chance to then get everybody on the same page for next year. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the year you'd expect this team to deliver. Right. Especially with the way Brady doesn't seem like he's fallen off physically, as you mentioned at the beginning. It right. seems more like when there are when things do go wrong, it's like a comfort game situation type yeah. of thing. And if that that's workable around with more time. My question for you, Mark, that one of the biggest questions coming into the show everybody's talked about it. I don't think there's any question. And I don't think you'll disagree that the Bucs need to use more play action. I mean, this is a team that is thriving on play action as they did a year ago. They have great play action plays. They don't call play action enough. And it's really curious. I mean, they are averaging oh, three yards more per play when they go play action. They are averaging more yards per play action in comparison to non-play action than any other team in the NFL, but they are third to last in play action percentage in the NFL right now. It makes no sense. Everyone knows that. Bruce Arian says we need to have the run game clicking. We need to not be trailing. But he's used play action successfully, even if it's sparingly, in situations where neither of those things are true. Is he blowing smoke at us? Is he BSing us? Or does he actually just not like play action as much as just straight dropbacks? What is the reason here? Because I just don't know if I'm buying Bruce Arian's reasoning. Yeah, and I don't think you should because we've seen and look, both film and numbers bear this out. You don't need to be have you don't need to have a successful run game to be successful using play action. Right. You don't need to be you know ahead of the game to be successful using play actions. And I'll give you just one example. You know, this year Chicago plays the New York Giants. Okay, Saquon Barkley goes down, and you would think mm-hmm. if you were a believer in this idea that you have to have a good running game that without Saquon Barkley, like you're not buying play action if you're Chicago. With Wayne Gallman in the backfield, the Giants and Jason Garrett ran a play action play, one receiver concept, just Darius Slayton on a curl route. It was like something out of like my high school playbook, my Pop Warner playbook. And it worked for a 25-yard game because everybody comes flying downhill because they think it's going to be a run and play. Even with Wayne Gallman in the game and Saquon Barkley getting x-rays. Like, yeah. if you can sell it, it will work. Play action is a cheat code. And you look at some of Brady's numbers, like you point out, they're great when they're using play action. I mean, he's got an NFL passer rated of 120.2 using play action this year, which is a top five number, top four, ahead of – He's number four ahead of Kirk Cousins, who's usually looked at as one of the best on play action. And mm-hmm. just behind, you know, Russell Wilson, who's one of the best at using play action. It is a cheat code. And as long as you could sell it and as long as you're comfortable protecting it, you know, and we've seen some articles recently where some teams that don't run as much play action say, well, our guys don't feel comfortable on the play action design selling it efficiently up front from, a, you know, an offensive line perspective. You know, maybe that's the issue. I don't see that on film from Tampa Bay. I would tell you it's somebody that, again, has seen so much Tom Brady. Like his bread and butter is that run fake Y crosser to either, you know, a slot receiver or the tight end. It is there all the time. If you can sell it, you can execute it. He had some great designs earlier in the season, throwing that crosser off play action. It's like second nature to him. And if you watch Tom Brady run in play action, you know, I did a video on it. You can find on Twitter, on social media where even if he has his back to the defense, he's looking out of the corner of his eyes to see corners on either side to show, you know, if they're going to be in man or zone coverage. He's so skilled that even with his back technically to the defense, reading what's happening when he's carrying out this fake, these fakes. So, look, if I'm Byron Leftwich, if I'm Bruce Arians, you might not like play action, but Tom Brady does. 
And your job as right. a coach is to put your players in a position where they're comfortable and they can be effective. And play action is certainly a big one with Tom Brady. The other yeah, thing you, that's been talked about, or go ahead, Scott. Wait, what I was going to say is I, I want you to kind of fact check a little bit of, of something here for us, Mark. Uh, Bruce Arians, and, and this is in his book, The Quarterback Whisperer, and it, it, this is just his philosophy. Uh, he he loves quarterbacks. He loves the position, and he wants to to put the the quarterback in the best position to win. He lets the quarterbacks pick the plays, right? They they have a practice script. They go out there, and on Thursday and Friday, they they you know Tom circles the plays he wants and and X's out the plays that it didn't work. It didn't feel right in practice. I wasn't on the same page with the receiver. Whatever. We're just going to skip that one this week. So all of the plays that are in the game plan have been Tom Brady approved. Now. It's in some of those plays he gets to check to at the line, right? If he sees something different, he's got that that command and, and that presence. Um, Byron Leftwich as as the play caller dials up the plays and, and all of that. But w- one of the things that 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 was was talked about um, almost ad nauseum by Tony Romo was the lack of motion uh, in in um, in Bruce Arians' scheme, and 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 he he was trying to imply, and maybe it's correct that Tom Brady wants motion to identify whether a coverage is man or zone, right? And and and, uh, and it doesn't have to be uh, an in-motion at the snap. It could be a, a, pre, um, a pre-snap motion where receiver goes down and then back, right, and back, back to his position. But um, how much of, of that, of motion, did Brady use in New England? And, you know, I asked Bruce on the last conference call we had, I said, does Tom Brady want more motion? And he said, Tom gets as much motion as he wants. So I'm just trying to, to, to determine where yeah, truth I, is. In I, I understand, Scott, the whole motion question right now is a big one with Tampa Bay. And, you know, I think it's important to delineate between the two different kinds of motion that people are right. talking about in the league right now. And I think Darren Olofsky termed it this way, motion for information and motion for impact. Mm-hmm. You know, there's motion for information, and that's what Tom Brady has had throughout his career at New England. I mean, even last year, two years ago, you know, when they won a Super Bowl, they would use a ton of motion pre-snap and they would also use formations pre-snap. They would start out an empty and you have, you know, James White flexed out to the boundary below the numbers. And you know, if you're Tom Brady, if you see a linebacker out there, it's man coverage. If you see a cornerback out there, it's zone. Like, so that's motion for information. Then there's motion for impact, which is you're seeing more teams use jet motion, guys moving at the snap. Mm -hmm. Look, as an old quarterback, anytime defensive guys have to think, I'm excited because – Yep. You know, I'll, I'll just put it out there. Um, that's so right. that's the two different kinds of motion. And I think what they are doing some of is that motion for information. Mm-hmm. I always think you could do more of it to give you – the more information you can give a quarterback, the better the play call will eventually look in the right. end because that quarterback has more time to make decisions. Because if you're just trying to decipher at the snap what coverage it is, that's 2.5 seconds. But if yep. you've had a second and a half of motion before that, mm-hmm. that's five seconds. And every right. split second counts when you're trying to make decisions with guys like Cameron Jordan and Khalil Mack bearing down on you, trying to cause right. you physical harm. So the more motion, the better. And, you know, this is the greatest quarterback of all time. And Josh McDaniels was doing everything he could to give him information because the mm-hmm. more information you have, the more time you have to make reads and decisions, the better that eventually decision is going to be so when they used it i think it was 21 times it was charted two weeks ago that they used motion in some form you know it was like six at the snap they could do more of that 21 times motion on some sort of play that's good i'd like to see more of it Mm -hmm. yeah it's so interesting because you're right there's different types of it and it's one that you know they use some of the the pre-snap stuff but at the snap motion you know that motion for impact that you're talking about that really almost in my opinion at least you know doesn't that have to be kind of like a systematic approach mark where like you've installed this in the offseason like this is your offensive approach like i don't think it's something you could go into a, like you could go into a game plan and say we're going to run more play action this week but i don't know that motion at the snap is something you could go in and say this week we're going to have tons of motion at this like there's timing there's cohesiveness there's mo- who's the moving parts there's yeah. structure to that that in oh, my opinion John, would take like an offseason to put in by the way there was a play last year at tennessee where where the receiver went in motion and ran into Jameis Winston, and yeah. so and, yeah. I mean, and caused a fumble. So it's like, yeah. uh, 
You're right. That's, Some of that stuff, stuff has happen. to happen in the offseason. Well, remember, Scotty Miller ran into Donovan Smith in week one off motion sure. <laughs> at the snap. Yeah. You know, one of the right. few times, probably one of the only times they've used it this year. So no wonder yeah. Arians doesn't like it. But isn't that true, Mark? That like, That's something that people ask about motion every show on here. And like that almost, the motion at the snap is something that really has to be a part of your system. It can't yeah. just be put in week to week. Yeah, I mean, it's a systematic thing. Like, you can have the sort of short motions, the, like, Mm -hmm. you know, trips to the right with an outside receiver, number one, is, like, towards the boundary, and you've got a two-man stack. Clance motion him in, now motion him in towards a bunch. Like, you could do that. They've done some of that. John, that play, I know you and I talked about it this week, that third down mesh concept wheel route to Antonio Brown. They had Godwin in short motion there where he was Mm -hmm. moving at the snap to give him a free release to run his, you know, crossing route on that mesh concept. So there are things that they've done which is good. But like, if you're going to start being like, say the Los Angeles Rams or the Green Bay Packers, who use a ton of jet motion, right. Robert Woods, Devontae Adams, like flying behind the under center quarterback right at the snap. Like you've got to get the timing down on that. And yeah. you know, you've got a bye week. Maybe you see more of that stuff, you know, two weeks from now. Um, but it is more of a systematic thing than just, Hey, you know, guys, I think this is cool. Let's, let's get some of this in again, getting back to the limited practice time you have right now and all the other things you have to work on, you know, as you're getting ready to play your next game. Yeah. One of the other things you got to get in is your bets. You got to get them in this weekend, late fall college football, the NBA bubble UFC fight Island is clear. 2020 has been a year unlike any other, which is why you need a sports book with offers. Unlike any other, get some skin in the game with my bookie where odds boost lightning deals and free bets await all season long. There really is no better time to feast on some NFL action. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use the promo code PEWTER, P-E-W-T-E-R, to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you are already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. Use the promo code PEWTER when you sign up. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join into the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Mark, much has been made about the Tom Brady deep ball. Right after his signing, it's all anyone talked about. Doesn't matter that that's only a small percentage of the throws that you'll make in a given season, even in a Bruce Arians offense. Right after his signing, everybody talked about it early in the season. You know, first seven weeks, like I said, it was going great. Uh, Then we hit a four-game stretch where it was terrible. The Rams and Saints especially stand out. In those two games, Tom Brady was 0 for 11 on throws of 20 yards or more. I would argue that in those two games, not many things were open down the field that he missed. It was just trying to force an issue that wasn't there on coach and quarterback in those situations. But he has a third most deep ball completions in the league, the most deep ball attempts, 22 outside of those two games against the Rams and States, 22 of of 54 deep balls have been completed with four drops outside of those two games. What's but it's still not, you know, at 38 percent, like you want him to be higher than that in this offense for sure. I think it's been marred by a couple games where the, the larger sample size on the season says he's thrown it pretty well. I think on the tape, things look like he's thrown it pretty well. I'm going to ask you. you know what, Here's the thing. That he, he's also thrown a handful of those passes to Antonio Brown, who's mm-hmm. only been with this team for a month. So right. we talk There's about practice some... time and continuity. And it's like, how many practices have Antonio Brown and Tom Brady had together now? Yes. Right. So my question to you, Mark, is what's what's the main issue? You know, and Mark mentions cohesiveness there. So, you know, I'll put arm strength in there because for a little giggle for us, for a little shout out to people who still talk about arm strength, but arm strength, accuracy, chemistry or protection. Now, you can only pick one or you can change one of like something I said and you can make it. Actually, it's this. None of the things you mentioned because you're a fool. You can say that, too. But I, you can only pick one. So what is the biggest problem? And then if you want, you can say this is also an issue. But what's the biggest problem right now for the Bucks deep ball not hitting at quite at the rate, the consistency they wanted to hit at lately? 
Yeah, and John, I'll never call you a fool. I think this is another area where recency bias has to, you know, be discussed because you're talking about a quarterback that through the first eight weeks of the season was sixth in adjusted completion percentage on throws downfield, 20 yards or more, sixth in the league, three touchdowns, no picks, NFL passer rating of 110.4, which was again a top 10 number. They've had some struggles recently, you know, and I, I do think some of the recent struggles, there are twofold. One of the ones that you picked was chemistry. You know, there's still an issue with guys not being on the same page, you know, yeah. whether it's routes, you know, that aren't, you know, John, you and I talked about a play again, the Carolina game, you know, that vertical mills concept where it right. looks like Antonio Brown really flattens his post route. Brady expects him to throw deep, but he literally throws it. The ball's on the right hash mark. He drops it on the right hash mark, 55 yards downfield where he expected mm -hmm. Brown to be. And it would have been a touchdown if Brown was where he expected him to be, but he flattened his right. post route because it was a too high cover four look. He saw that other safety come down and thought, oh, man, I'll just go behind him too. And they're not on the same page. And so right. chemistry is certainly one. And I do think in a sense, you've seen Brady miss some throws to the inside on deeper throws towards the boundaries. That's not, I don't think, an arm strength issue. I think, you know, I haven't watched so much of Tom Brady. There have been times when I do wonder about lower body, whether it's injuries, fatigue. You know, I remember – at the end of that 2018 season, they go on and win a Super Bowl, but they played the Bills. They beat the Bills in week 16. And I remember doing my show that night. And I said, look, kids, I don't think this team can win because this passing game is putrid. Like, it's awful. It's not going to be good enough to win a playoff game. And then, you know, three months later, I look, you know, three weeks later, I look like an idiot because they're winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I can call myself an idiot. I do that That's all right. the time. Um, but that. Later that year in the offseason came out that he was dealing with a knee injury, dealing with an MCL sprain in his left knee, and just didn't feel comfortable finishing throws and pushing through th throws through that front foot. Um, mm. So when you see him miss some throws to the inside, it's not an arm strength issue, period, full stop. For everybody that wants to say that Tom Brady's done, he's washed, his arm has gone off a cliff, no. Like, no, right. I, I will give you reams and reams of clips of Tom Brady in the past couple of years making throws that some guys can't make now. Like, the arm is not an issue. Well, and, and Mark, too, last year, I mean, when it was Julian Edelman and, and nobody else, right? And Julian Edelman's not the deep ball guy. They didn't attempt a lot of throws because I think Josh McDaniels was smart just, enough to just, realize, yeah. It, they just you, couldn't, you know? It, and it, it wasn't it's one, it's one thing Brady. to throw the ball. You have to have yeah. the guy catch it, right? And, yeah. he didn't, and he didn't trust his, his receivers to go deep. So that was kind of scaled back in, in the game plan, right? Because yeah, they didn't absolutely. have the deep ball guy. I mean, you weren't going to take deep shots to Nikhil Harry, who couldn't quite get on the same page with Tom Brady. Right. You weren't going to take deep shots to some of the other receivers they have, you know, because they couldn't get on the same page with Tom Brady. These they didn't have vertical weapons when they did. Yeah. I mean, I know look, 2007, it's a long time ago, but right. when you had Randy Moss, yeah. I mean, Brady yeah. was the original. Yeah, Randy's down there somewhere. I'll just throw it to him, kind of guy. Right. Um, I, I think in terms of you know where Brady is right now, you know, being seven months older than Tom Brady. Now, granted, I'm not on the TB12 diet. I don't eat avocado ice cream and all that stuff. Like, you know, you get knocked around a little bit. It takes a little bit longer to get right again. So I do expect after this bye week, you will see a much improved Tom Brady in every facet of the game. Yeah. The I, I, that, I was going to say, one, one of the things that, that I wanted to get your, your opinion on is when people talk about the New England system, right? Um, it's, it's hard to have a system for 20 years, right? Because you've had – You've got different play callers, Charlie Weiss, Bill O'Brien for a stretch, Josh McDaniels for, for most of it. But but just as you mentioned with Randy Moss, it, you know, people like to, to box Tom Brady into these, these corners and say, well, he likes to throw to the running backs. Oh, well, yeah, but he also likes to throw to wide receivers. Uh, he also likes to throw to tight ends, right? I mean, you remember Rob, uh, Rob Gronkowski, you know, he was was up there a few minutes and, and, and had a couple thousand yard seasons. Aaron <laughs> Hernandez uh, also came close to a thousand yards. And then you've had uh, you know, a handful of, of wide receivers. And I'm, I'm not just talking about guys like uh, Wes Welker and um, and Julian Edelman that were those kind of inside quick slot guys. I'm talking about, you know, some other guys, Brandon Cooks, right? Uh, you know, Chris Hogan didn't have a thousand years, but but um, uh, there have there, been some other receivers that he's had the opportunity to throw to down the field. And so uh, Brandon LaFell was a guy, 953 yards. Brandon Lloyd, 911. Deion Branch, 998. We can kind of put those in the almost 1,000-yard category along with, with Cooks and Troy Brown as well. But, but my question or, or slash point to you is, is 
the New England offense has changed and morphed into whatever personnel they've had. And so it's not really one scheme. And, and so whether it's been guys that catch the ball out of the backfield like Kevin Falk or Deion Lewis, Rex Burkhead, James White, uh, when they've had those guys to throw to, they get thrown the ball. But when it's been other running backs um, that maybe weren't as exceptional pass catchers, then the ball goes somewhere else, right? So it really hasn't been like Tom Brady is is in box A and Bruce Arians' offense is in, is in box B, and there hasn't been a crossover. There have been some some vertical concepts aplenty in, in that New England offense when they've had the personnel, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, I'll, I'll preface this answer by saying that a lot of people in New England, well, not a lot, but some people in New England were happy when Randy Moss was no longer a Patriot because they felt like finally Tom Brady's favorite receiver was going to be the open receiver again, like he yeah. like used to be when he started with New England. And as somebody that has studied both his first Patriots playbook and his last, like there's been growth, there's been expansion of concepts, there's been expansion of route designs and elements to that that have worked in more vertical stuff downfield. People like to say, oh, well, the New England offense, it's the same as it has been since 2003. It's not. There are certainly right. elements that you look at a 2003 playbook and a 2018 playbook, they're the same, but there are elements that are different. You know, there are elements, people like to say, oh, it's a Bruce an Ern Perkins system, you know, it's time and a rhythm, it's the intermediate stuff, it's play action, and there's definitely that. But you open up a New England playbook, you'll see stuff pulled from air raid concepts, you'll see stuff pulled from, you know, West Coast elements, you'll see stuff that you'll see in a Bruce Arians playbook as well. Yeah. And so, you know, Every NFL offensive playbook steals from other offensive systems that work. Yeah. And in while Brady was New England, there were times where they were more willing to go downfield with the football when they had the guys sure. to throw it to. Yeah. There were also times when they were like, look, our best weapon this week, you know, is a running back against a linebacker. And that's the other yeah. thing I think people need to remember about New England's offensive system is it will change from week to week. In right. some weeks, they look at a safety. You know, John probably remembers some Patriot Steelers game games in unfortunately the years yes mark like, i do remember patriots <laughs> like, look, thanks for bringing that out we've got right. some safeties we can pick out of the deep passing game so we'll take some shots downfield but then there are other weeks when it's like you know you're playing buffalo micah high jordan poyer you don't want to attack those guys so you're going to have james white against matt milano and throw wheel routes to running backs out of the backfield so you know new england that system it is a system but it's a matchup based system where they're going to yeah. find the, the best ways to beat you week to week so we've said all this and, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of good information being shared, but I, I ask you this too, like, as we get near the closer to the end of this time, like one of the key components of a Bucks offense, you know, this year and in, in the minds of fans and really in the minds of, of probably Tom Brady and Bruce Arians is getting Mike Evans the football. And obviously it hasn't been the production for Mike Evans this year. I could have told you before the year, Mike Evans wasn't going to produce like he's produced in his best seasons. There wasn't going to be a 1,400, 1,500 yard. A, Brady right. is not going to lock on one receiver. B, Brady is going to be more efficient than, than throwing to Mike Evans a bunch of times, which throughout Mike Evans' career, as great as he is, he has not been an efficient receiver. It's not, not his fault. It's just the way that he's utilized. He isn't a guy that you should target, you know, 10 times every game. It's just not the best usage for him. Having said that, when they do throw to Mike Evans, it definitely seems like things have been off. And it seems like it's been off more as the season's gone on. That's the weirdest thing about it. You know, even the other day, Mike Evans cuts off his route on the first drive of the game. Brady's throwing it deeper. Mike Evans stops. The hot routes you and I have talked about, but also that you wrote about this week over a touchdown wire where Mike Evans doesn't know he's hot and or you know is running his route to the middle of the field when he should be stopping in that space behind the blitz. So it just seems like those two haven't always been on the same page this year. Vertical routes, all kinds of stuff, really. Hasn't been on the same page this year. What has been your observations of Brady and Mike Evans and them throwing together? And What do you think are the issues maybe with those two? And can they be kind of fixed as the year goes on? You know, I think part of it is that feel, you know, and a lot of the like miscommunication aspects between those two when they're trying to connect, they seem to come on more option type routes where you've got to read the field the same. You've got to read the coverage the same. And you know, we often talk when we're talking about quarterback position where, oh, you know, if you confuse them by spitting the safeties, you might be able to make them make mistakes. Well, you can also confuse a receiver. You know, if you're running an option route that can be one of three different choices based on the coverage and the quarterback reads it right and the receiver reads it wrong, well, it's it's the, it has the same effect as you've confused the quarterback because you've confused the guy he's trying to throw to. So right. I think there is that sort of element to it. You know, something that they've done some of and I'd like to see more of, you know, last year with Winston, 
Tampa Bay did a lot of three-by-one stuff with Evans as the isolated receiver, X-ISO stuff. And if Winston liked the matchup, great. He'll throw it to Evans. Fantastic. And if he didn't, he'll work the sort of pass and route concept to the bunch side of the formation. You've seen Pittsburgh do that this year a ton with right. Ben Roethlisberger, where if he likes Washington, if he likes Claypool isolated in a single receiver setting, he'll throw that. Otherwise, he'll work the concept. They've done some of that this year. I know there's a ton of that stuff in Arians' playbook. I'd like to see more of it and not just – you know, an option route where it's going to be X, Y, or Z based on the coverage. Let Evans just run go routes, run comeback routes where he can use his frame. Like, don't overcomplicate things. And if Brady likes that coverage look pre-snap, he can throw it. If he doesn't, he can work the concept. Because then when you come back to a bunch look with Gronkowski, Godwood, and Brown, that's going to be successful. So it gives mm-hmm. you a chance to give your quarterback information pre-snap. You don't even have to use motion to do it. Do you like this matchup one-on-one? Great. If not, work the bunch concept to the backside, well, front side, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. I think they can do more of that to get these guys all on the same page and give information and opportunity post now. Hmm. I like that. That's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought too much about that. I know Godwin, or uh, sorry, Evans also playing in the slot this year more than any other time in his career. I think even more as a rookie, he played in the slot some, but I think this season, I've, I've re-looked at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure this will be – or sorry, Mike Evans. Oh, Mike um, Evans, yeah. Yeah, Mike Evans. Yeah, I yeah. think this will be the season where he plays more in the slot than ever before, too. Could that be an issue, too, Mark? I know you wrote about hot routes, as I said, in the reads and how they're different in these two and in, in the where Tom Brady, how they use them in New England and how they're done in Bruce Arians' scheme. And that's like still a learning process for it seems like everybody a little bit, but also yeah. as you've seen Mike Evans play inside, we, you and I talked about two plays in that game, the one off the helmet, the interception off the helmet where Mike Evans wasn't quite sure. And then another play earlier in the game on the third down pass that went through Cameron Brate's hands. And we're not sure whether Evans hot, but not altering his round. He's in the slot again in that situation. So just your thoughts on that. Could that be a part of it too? a guy that's played outside most of his career and all of a sudden he's inside and he could be a, a part of things, you know, on the outside. You know, in Arians' offense, maybe you are hot sometimes on the outside. I mean, you I mean that's the strange thing, John. And, tra- and spending some time this morning, like going through Arians' playbooks and reading about how he structures his hot reads, because we're all used to the conceptual idea of, you know, a, a hot read is a protection based thing, right? Your tight end, like if you see both linebackers blitz, like that's where you're throwing the football. Right. Arians yeah. does it differently. Like his hot reads are like, He'll have a levels concept or a bunch concept to the right side of the formation. And if you get that blitz, your heart read is X ISO coming on the crosser. You throw it once those linebackers blitz. Like it's completely different. But Arians Arians has this idea of if you're going to blitz, I'm going to attack you in space. It's not just, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I'll replace the blitz with a ball. It's like, no, I'm going to go somewhere and win a one-on-one matchup or make somebody miss after the catch and things like that. And so that's one aspect to this. Well, now you've got – you know, guys that are in new positions. Now it's Mike Evans being used in the slot because that's where you want a Tom Brady target type receiver to be because Brady loves throwing to his slot receivers. Well, you put Evans there, but now he has to learn hot stuff too. Like it's guys that are having to learn new things. And it goes back to the early point, you know, with Scott's question, which is we're doing it during the midst of a global pandemic when we didn't have a usual training camp and preseason. Like that's a lot to learn, you know, even for a guy in Mike Evans that this is the same playbook. Yeah. But Last year, he's all outside the numbers and in the boundary. Now he's aligned in the slot, and he has to worry about option routes and reads and mm-hmm. diagnosing coverage off the snap. And, oh, wait, they're blitzing. Now I'm hot. I'm already 10 yards downfield. I should have looked for the ball, and now it get doinked off somebody's helmet anyway, and it's an interception. Like, there's a lot of moving parts here that you're trying to, like I yeah. said, glue together the wins while you're trying to land from 35,000 feet. And Mark, you know, we talked about about learning on the fly. Um, how much, and it's impossible, right? We're just we're just trying to make a guess here without getting in, inside Tom Brady's head or or having him here to ask the question. But but how much do you think, uh, in the heat of the moment, whether it's a hot read or whatever, you know, he's uh, he's done something kind of one way. And I, I know football is football, slants a slant, those type of things. I get that, but he's done things one way for twenty years. And now he's in year one of doing things a, a different way, whether it's a slightly different way or or a majorly different way, depending on the play call and the and and the defense he's reading, the concepts, whatever. But how much of it is him sometimes because we hear the term muscle memory, uh, reverting back to in, in an instant the New England way of doing things and and almost kind of forgetting that he's in a Buccaneer uniform because he's at twenty years of doing it one way. Muscle memory is a real thing. It's the, the, it's the reason why once you learn how to ride a bike, like you always know. I haven't ridden a bike in probably 15 years. I could get off this call, hop on my son's bike, and pedal down the street like it was yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's a real thing. 
it's a more real thing when you have a cover zero blitz and you have guys wanting to rip your body in half, like you're not going to stop and think muscle memory is going to take over. And a play that I referenced earlier, I wrote about it USA today. John and I talked about it, that throwaway on the wheel route, you know, Mm -hmm. to Antonio Brown early in the game. I don't know who the hot read was there. It was a cover zero blitz, but Brady's eyes went immediately to the tight end. Mm -hmm. And if this is a muscle memory moment and the hot read was really somebody else on a shallow or Mike Evans on the backside dig, or even Antonio Brown on the wheel route, mm-hmm. that might be true. But Brady's eyes went right to Rob Gronkowski, the tight end, because that's probably the way he has run it his entire life in New right. England. And so maybe Brady was in the wrong there, but you can't blame him because that is one of those right. muscle memory moments when you've done something for 20 years and now you're yeah. getting blitzed and you have to get it out and you don't want to get hurt because it's a reaction. Hurt. It's a, just a natural reaction. Yeah. It's like, we all learned to drive. We were all told 10 and two. Mm-hmm. We were told 10 and two because if something happens and you panic, that's where your hands are going to go. And we've all stopped doing that. But I can get in my car, back out of the driveway, start driving away and see a ball come across the street. My hands are going to go to 10 and two. That's yeah. people take over. And if you've spent right. 20 years doing it differently, it doesn't matter. That's how you learn. That's what you're going to do in the heat of the moment. Right. So it just takes some time to unlearn what you've learned and what you've done. Yeah, I mean, you have to like almost break it down and build it back up again. And even when you like another example is quarterback mechanics, right? How many times do we hear, oh, Blake Bortles, he's got the mechanics, he's fixed them, he's got rid of that big dip and loop, and you see him in preseason games at a training camp and everything's great. First, third, and eight, he sees week one, he gets blitzed, ball loops again because it's so hard to break it down and build it back up. And it's a reaction sometimes, and in the heat of the moment, whether it's a blitz or somebody off the edge, you will revert to what you've done for your entire life. Yeah. I've got a question to close it out with. I know, Scott, you probably want to talk about our friends over at Briar Grease, but I do have one more kind of humdinger question to close it out with with Mark once we once we talk about our friends over at Briar Greaves, who you recently switched to That's and right. have been very pleasantly surprised. Absolutely. I, I can't begin to tell you the level of customer service I've gotten from Briar Greaves. Um, a lot of times, John, when you call a place, you're trying to talk to somebody, they're not there, leave a message, they'll get back with you, send an email, maybe they'll get back to you by the end of the day, maybe by tomorrow. It's instantaneous communication with Briar Greaves. I really feel like I've got these guys on my side, and I do. You know, A lot of homeowner companies are canceling, they're not renewing policies in Florida, they're leaving Florida, or they're just increasing premiums significantly. I had to go through that this year. And I called Briar Greaves and I talked to Briar and Sam and I got that personalized touch for information on the best rates. So what I want you to do is call Briar Greaves Insurance. They're a family owned and operated company that served the Tampa Bay area for 30 years for your home, your auto, your boat, your life, your commercial, your flood insurance needs. The folks at Briar Greaves Insurance, they're big Bucks fans. They'll want to talk Buccaneer football with you too, which is really cool. They're proud sponsors of the Peter Report podcast on PeterReport.com. Visit the website, BriarGreavesInsurance.com for more information. Or give them a call, 813-876-4166, 813-876-4166, BriarGreavesInsurance.com. John, before you get to your question, I got one last question for, Go for, for Mark. And this has been fun. And, and this is just kind of like a off the top of my head thing here. But if, if I were to guess the most surprising, surprisingly disappointing thing, I, I guess is how I phrase it, about Tom Brady and coming to Tampa Bay is, is I, I think that you know he's, he's, got, he's got a very familiar tight end, right? He's got a couple tight ends down here. Lost a good one to O.J. Howard earlier in the year, but he's got Rob. And, and Cameron Brady, he, he's got a rapport with them. He's got receivers galore, right? Receivers he didn't have in New England. But the running backs, I'm going to circle back around there because it seems like he's always had that that rock steady guy, whether it's a Kevin Falk or a Deion Lewis or a Rex Burkett or a James White, uh, he's had that that pass catching back that could bail him out, or like as you mentioned, could really be a matchup guy and win for you, not just be a, a safety valve, but but a, a real weapon in the passing game. Um, and, and of course, there's been times like Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, who's more of just a pure runner than he was a receiver, but. Is that the thing that, that maybe Brady misses the most is, is not having that reliable pass catcher? Uh, they've gone through LaShawn McCoy. He's not a good pass protector. This team has deemed Leonard Fournette to be the best pass protector. That's why he's in there. We saw him drop three passes the other night. Uh, Ronald Jones is hit and miss as a pass catcher. Is that the one element 
that has been maybe disappointing in Brady's sojourn down here to Tampa? I think in large part, Scott, that probably is, especially when you look back at this Chiefs game. Kansas City played a lot of sub packages, 4-1-6, you know, 3-2-6, where, you know, you've got six defensive backs on the field and a reason to cover the weapons that Tampa Bay can put on the field. But that leaves you an opportunity as an offense where you can get that running back isolated on a linebacker in a man coverage situation and then take advantage of that. But if you don't trust the guys to catch the football out of the backfield, that Brady doesn't trust throwing to them, if they've let him down before, I will tell you the Tom Brady circle of trust is real. It is a real thing, and I've lived it. I have seen it. I have seen players get iced out of game plans, out of offenses. Nikhil Harry is probably like scarred. Yeah. Day about you know letting a slant route get picked on a Sunday night against Houston that goes down to like the three yard line. Yeah. Nikhil Harry was like on a milk carton after that moment because Brady just did not trust that guy. Yeah, it's a real thing. And so if he doesn't trust throwing to you, it is going to be a problem. If he doesn't trust throwing the, to the position, it's going to be a problem. So I think yeah, I mean missing James White, missing Kevin Falk, missing Dion Lewis, like all the guys that he could throw to on a third and seven. Mm-hmm. A simple check down to know he's going to pick up the first down. Right. There's a big security blanket for him, and I do think he misses that right now. Dear God, I would pay money to see him ice Leonard Fournette out of this offense. I would pay <laughs> good, hard cash to see be, that happen. It could be the, Mark, the plan of the week. Uh, I don't it know. Could be, it could be. Mark, well, and, 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 and John, I mean, Rojo did have that marvelous 30-plus yard catch-and-run touchdown, so maybe, maybe that uh, – Shifts the favor a little bit. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does. And and let's hope. And let's hope Rojo can protect you. Mark, we do a segment every Wednesday just called Leonard. And we just yell about things that Leonard Fournette did in the game on Sunday because it's so maddening. And so I got to show this week's play from Leonard. It was a great play by Tom Brady. Just pick up. No, Leonard. What are you doing? <laughs> Missed him, Leonard. Brady completes it anyway. But then Rojo, can Rojo protect a little bit better? No, Rojo. What are you doing? Oh, no. uh, John, John, go back back to the Leonard Fournette play. Because if you you look at this play, he's got two guys. All he has to do is pick one. Pick one. Two blitzers. (laughs) It's somebody. just did somebody. It's almost harder to miss both. I know. That's right. Well, it comes back to his technique, right? He throws himself at people. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, You can't see Leonard. Oh, man. And then Rojo. No, Rojo. Overset on him. That's the problem there. Brady picked. Next play. Back-to-back plays. Your Bucks running backs, ladies and gentlemen. 2020 Bucks running backs. Round of applause for them. Mark, last question to get you out of here and close this thing out so you can watch this pitiful football game between the Ravens and the Steelers. The undefeated Steelers struggling. My undefeated Steelers struggling with the Ravens practice squad. If you could change two things about the Bucs offense right now for the rest of the season in order to help them achieve peak success, Mark, you could only pick two things. What are the most two most important things for this Bucs offense to do moving forward? What would you choose? I do think the first one is play action. And, you know, I'm glad that you gave me a chance to sort of bring back the, the conversation to play action because I do want to point out you were talking about perhaps the best quarterback in the league this year on play action. I know I mentioned some of the statistics, but I do think it's important to highlight a few more. You're talking about a guy that has a 5.6% jump in his completion percentage from non-play action to play action throws as charted by pro football focus. That is third in the league. You're talking about a quarterback that has a jump in yards per attempt of 3.4 from non-play action to play action as charted by Pro Football Focus. That is most in the league. Play action is a cheat code. You are hurting yourself. You are hurting your offense. You are hurting your quarterback if you're not using it. He only has 88 play action attempts. Ryan Tannehill has 121. Baker Mayfield has 101. Kyler Murray has 104. Guys, help your boy out. So that's one. The other thing, look, we, we've mentioned hot reads and stuff like that, and yes, that that could be cleaned up. But I do like the idea, as I talked about earlier, those three-by-one sets that Michael Evans feast against single coverage on one side, let Brady work the concept of the three-receiver set if he doesn't like the matchup to the other side. That's a way you could give your quarterback information pre-snap, let him make a predetermined read. There's nothing wrong with it. We have this stigma, always oh, a predetermined one-read quarterback. If it works, use it. So play action, three-by-one sets, flourish. 
Great stuff. Love it. Oh, Mark Schofield, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you're giving him a follow, checking him out. NF or USA Today's Touchdown Wire does awesome work over there. You're all over the place, though, Mark. So take a second, plug yourself, plug your work, and let people know where they can find you. I got to stretch before I get them all in. But guys, this is the last. <laughs> um, you can follow me on the Bird app on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Um, like you mentioned, Matt Wallowitz, rookie scout of portfolio, three different SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Pat's Pulpit, where I have the SCO show and I cover the Patriots. And of course, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Factory with the one, the only, and John, soon-to-be neighbor, Michael J. Kist, where, yeah, we uh, we talk history because we have to talk about Carson Wentz, too, so we'd rather talk for 25 minutes about Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And like you said, uh, USA Today, <laughs> Touchdown Wire, myself, Doug Farrar, Recover the League. Uh, so you can check that out over there, touchdownwire.usatoday.com. Guys, this was a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Really Thanks so much for – Shedding your insight, Mark, and for teaching us your ways. We greatly appreciate it, and we'll have to do it again sometime for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We Definitely. will be back tomorrow. The, the, the right. world does not stop. Greg Cassell yeah, is coming on the show tomorrow. It's the bye week for the Bucks, but not for us. That's right. We're not here. for us at all. Yeah, we'll be Greg back Cosell. tomorrow. Yep, 4 p.m. live. Greg Cassell breaking down the Bucks, talking Arians, talking scheme, and we'll talk some more about the receivers. He's watched a lot of those guys. Talk some more about those guys, the backs as well, the offensive line. The whole works. We'll we'll talk about and discuss that as well tomorrow with Greg Cassell. So it should be a lot of fun. Appreciate Mark coming and joining us, Scott, for you and for myself, uh, John Ledyard. We appreciate you all tuning in and joining us and for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out. Out.